Welcome to Morning Soap. At Fusion Church, our desire is that every believer would not just attend church, but also hear from God daily through His Word. As we read the Bible, we begin to see how God responds to things. Doing daily devotions repatterns the way we think, transforms the spirit of our mind, and helps us become more like Jesus. Join us here, Monday through Friday, as various pastors and leaders at Fusion Church share devotion and teaching through that day's soap scripture. Download the current soap reading plan at fusionchurch.cc soap. All right, come on. Good morning, everybody. Good morning, morning, morning. So nice to see everyone. We have a few more people on now. We have Freedom Week. Come on, Freedom is tomorrow. So very excited. Grateful for uh, all of our uh, volunteers, dream teamers coming out last night to get some freedom set up going. Uh, many hands make light work. And geez, I mean, we kind of tore that thing up. It was really impressive. Um, but no, so excited to be serving alongside some of you uh, praying at the altar for some of you and eager to host some of us who are participants, but honestly, just eager all around. Uh, if you are going through freedom, know that we have been praying for you for a while and we are anticipating God to do something so incredible uh, inside of your life over this upcoming weekend. Now, today we are going to be in Deuteronomy. Uh, let's see, Deuteronomy chapter 17, as I'm just going to put it in the chat. I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation today as we dive into it. So come on, let's pray and let's press in. So God, thank you for each and every person that's on here this morning. Holy Spirit, we know when uh, we come to you, you have a word for us. You want to speak to us. So Lord, I just pray that you would uh, download something inside of us today. I just pray for a divine download of your word, of your heart of new mindsets, new perspectives, uh, and even challenges as we look to your word. So God, I thank you for this uh, instruction manual, love letter, uh, beautiful book called the Bible that you've given us. And God, we thank you for the time we get to press into you. We pray this all in your son, Jesus's name. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen. Come on, let's stretch it out. Let's get ready. Because once we go in, it's all gas and no brakes, guys. So listen, if uh, if anything stands out to you, I've got my chat open. Drop it in the chat on the side. I would love to hear something that God is saying to you, something that stands out to you, special verse, all the good stuff, right? So Deuteronomy 17, verse 1. It says, never sacrifice sick or defective cattle, sheep or goats to the Lord your God, for he detests such gift. When you begin living in the towns the Lord your God is giving you, a man or woman among you might do evil in the sight of the Lord your God and violate the covenant. For instance, they might serve other gods or worship the sun, the moon, or any of the stars, the forces of heaven, which I have strictly forbidden. When you hear about it, investigate the matter thoroughly. If it is true that this detestable thing has been done in Israel, then the man or woman who has committed such an evil act must be taken to the gates of the town and stoned to death. But never put a person to death on the testimony of only one witness. There must always be two or three witnesses. The witnesses must throw the first stones, and then all the people may join in. In this way, you will purge the evil from among you. Suppose a case arises in a local court, 
that is too hard for you to decide. For instance, whether someone is guilty of murder or only of manslaughter or a difficult lawsuit or a case involving different kinds of assault. Take such legal cases to the place the Lord your God will choose and present them to the Levitical priest or the judge on duty at that time. They will hear the case and declare the verdict. You must carry out the verdict they announce and the sentence they prescribe at the place the Lord chooses. You must do exactly what they say. After they have interpreted the law and declared their verdict, the sentence they impose must be fully executed. Do not modify it in any way. Anyone arrogant enough to reject the verdict of the judge or of the priest who represents the Lord your God must die. In this way, you will purge the evil from Israel. Then everyone else will hear about it and be afraid to act so arrogantly. You are to enter the land the Lord your God is giving you. When you take it over and settle there, you may think we should select a king to rule over us like the other nations around us. If this happens, be sure to select a king, the man the Lord your God chooses. You must appoint a fellow Israelite. He may not be a foreigner. The king must not build up a large stable of horses for himself or send his people to Egypt to buy horses, for the Lord has told you you must never return to Egypt. The king must not take many wives for himself because they will turn his heart away from the Lord. And he must not uh, accumulate large amounts of wealth in silver and gold for himself. When he sits on the throne as king, he must copy for himself the body of instructions on a scroll in the presence of the Levitical priests. He must always keep that copy with him and read it daily as long as he lives. That way, he will learn to fear the Lord, his God, by obeying all the terms of these instructions and decrees. This regular reading will prevent him from becoming proud and acting as if he is above his fellow citizens. It will also prevent him from turning away from these commands in the smallest ways. And it will ensure that he and his descendants will reign for many generations in Israel. Come on. So good. So good. That is like a meaty chapter. When I was going through yesterday to make the soap. I thought, yeah, we've got like 10 topics we can cover. <laughs> so I don't know if we go deep in two or light in 10. So we're going to see how this goes. <laughs> no, but uh, it's so very good. Drop uh, anything that uh, is standing out to you inside of the chat. Is anything is God saying anything to you? I'd love to just hear from each and every one of you. Um, I kind of like we're just going to start off in verse one. The first thing God kicks this chapter off with. Never sacrifice sick or defective cattle, sheep or goats to the Lord your God, for he detests such gifts. So as we've been going through, uh, you know, soaping and, you know, diving into the Old Testament the way we have been over the past, you know, like 10 months. Um, one of the things that we studied uh, was that animals, especially when they're brought as sacrifices to God or offerings to God, were to be without defect, Right. So right here, we can kind of see God is, uh, let's say, confronting something that Israel is doing, because the fact that this command was included inside, like this one liner command was included inside of this chapter was because Israel was trying to get away with sacrificing imperfect or deformed animals. So uh, this was more of like them revealing their heart to God, revealing their heart to people, because when we bring a sacrifice to God, ideally we're not bringing uh let's say like the leftovers you know we're not taking the scraps off the plate we're not bringing the animal that would die anyway 
right? We're not bringing the couple pennies from our bank account. That's because, you know, well, I'd rather, you know, get my Wawa coffee than bring God my first or best, right? So this is really kind of revealing their heart. And I think this is so prudent to us as Christ followers of the principle of first, the principle of best, the principle of first, right? So I have like a couple of values inside of my life that I just chose a while ago to start living by. And I wrote out, I literally have a printed out piece of paper that I read every day to remind myself what my value system is. And the first value inside of my value system is I put what matters most first, my God, my marriage, my family, and then everything else. <laughs> because everything else can fit in the last category. <laughs> but the first things first is my God, right? So God has a desire to be first inside of every one of our lives. The principle of first really is a key inside of our life to living in God's best. So it's important to know that salvation, eternal life is free. And everybody said, amen, <laughs> right? Like we did not have to pay for eternal life. Jesus, by his grace and his mercy, went to the cross for each and every one of our sins and paid for our eternity with him to have relationship with God Almighty. However, there's another side of the coin that says abundant life. To live in abundant life, to live inside of God's best for our life, we have to put God first inside of our life. So I kind of, uh, I heard this illustration from a preacher years ago, and I want to share it with you, all of you today. So uh, the principle of first is so well described from the nativity scene that we put out at Christmas. Come Does anyone have a nativity scene they put out at Christmas? Uh, I know when I got married, uh, Shannon said it was a requirement for our house to have a nativity scene. So <laughs> I did my, uh, my, uh, I had a, I was in our house that she was moving into after we got married, I was living there by myself. And when she came in around Christmas time, she had a fit because she said, where's your Christmas tree? I said, I really don't need one. I'm, I'm really okay. I will like, I can put it up on the TV and we can put the gifts around. It. I don't need a Christmas tree. She said, you need a Christmas tree. You need a wreath. You need some lights and you need a nativity scene. And I said, my love, I have none of those. <laughs> so uh, she let me pick out my own Christmas tree and it was about six inches high. I loved every last inch of it. I put it in the corner by itself and I put all the presents around it and it got lost. It was my favorite tree. Uh, when she saw it, she threw it in the trash. So <laughs> that was the last time that tree saw the light of day. <laughs> but uh, we got this nativity scene and it was really like a small little quaint guy. Um, but, you know, I think, of course, like the meaning behind it is always what's so special. And, you know, uh, for the nativity, of course, you keep Jesus out. And then on Christmas Eve, uh, you know, being a pastor, of course, like being in church, all of you know, it's like Christmas Eve is such a great time to come together in a service and just worship the God that came to us, you know, and we kind of have this tradition where we take Jesus in the manger and we put him in the dead center, the front of the manger, because all Christ or excuse me, all of Christmas revolves around Christ. Right. So we just have this tradition. We put him in there. and We just remember that he came. Well, I, I think it's so funny because when we have, let's say, our lives uh, or the nativity scene of our life, sometimes Jesus doesn't always make it to the center of the manger, right? So I, I might make some of us uncomfortable today, but the whole the whole point is so we can start looking at what's first, right? For some of us, uh, we might put the shepherds in the center of the manger or the first in the manger, right? The shepherds is our work. 
So sometimes the first thing we start thinking about, the first thing that we have to take care of, come on, us workaholics in here, come on, somebody, uh, is is the work, right? The first thing, my, my what matters most to me is my job, right? I'm passionate about it. It's, you know, it's my buildup. You know, I'm not just working the nine to five. I'm not just waiting or living for Friday. You know, I'm passionate about it. So the shepherd becomes first inside of my life. For others, you know, maybe it's the wise men. We take the wise men and put it in the center of the manger. And what that represents is our money, our finances. Whoo! And for some of us, we might, uh, instead of putting Jesus in the center of it, we put our finances in the center of our life, right? We kind of revolve everything around like, oh, well, no, you know, I want to make as most money as possible. I want the biggest house possible, the best car possible, right? Come on. I want to live like the Joneses next door. And we put the wise men in the center of the manger. Some of us, we might put Mary and Joseph in the center of the manger, which represents our marriage or our family. Hear me, these things, especially in the culture we live in today, um, are, let's say, like, you know, uh, the ones that make sense. Like, oh, of course, my family comes first. You know, my children come first. You know, my marriage comes first. Uh, but but hear me, uh, how can we be the best husband, wife, uh, mother, father that we could be without putting God first? Right. So we might put Mary and Joseph in the center of the manger or uh, I'm going to call out a couple of us today. Love you so much. Uh, we might put the animals in the center of the manger. I, I want to give a news flash for some of us. Uh, I love my cat too, but she's not my daughter. <laughs> I, I love your dog. I'm an animal lover through and through. But uh, our lives can't be centered around our pets. <laughs> we really have to have our lives, uh, pets live around our schedule. Um, that might be, I, you know, I might have a different audience, but when I preach this uh, to our Gen Z, to our youth and young adults, I break some of their hearts and they look at me and say, no, my dog is my baby. And I say, no, he's not, <laughs> you know, one day, but you can't have the pet in the center of your manger, right? So uh, we have to rearrange our manger to have Jesus, or excuse me, our nativity scene to have the manger in the center of it, to have Jesus in the first place, in the best place in the center of our lives. You know, all of these things can be so tempting to put first, but God has this jealous desire to be first inside of our lives. Uh, it kind of reminds me of Cain and Abel, uh, Cain and Abel from Genesis chapter four, uh, when the Lord really, uh, uh, was confronting Cain about his sacrifice to him. And Cain brought, let's say, what was left. He brought just some of his offering. And Abel was able to bring the best offering. Uh, and he brought the first fruit, the first of his flock, the best, the best to God. And uh, the Lord looked at him and said, listen, I I have to honor the one sacrifice, but I can't honor the other. I'm sorry, because it was a representation of the heart. You know, it was, and he told uh, Cain, he said, listen, you, um, <coughs> pardon me, uh, you have sin crouching at your doorstep, waiting and creeping on the outside. And when he was saying that the sin he was living in was not putting God first, not giving God the best. And right here in Deuteronomy 17, we could see uh, this doesn't leave the hearts of man because it's so tempting to not put God first. Now, a practical, how do you put God first then, right? So I can talk and it, probably endlessly of how we need to put God first, but how do you put him first? Uh, number one, great way to put him first is exactly what you're doing. Pardon me, exactly what you're doing. 6 a.m. soap, come on, we are kicking off the day. 
diving into the word of God, diving into the presence of Jesus, right? One of the best ways to put God first is to put him first in our day. One of the things that, you know, Pastor Brandon mentioned it, I believe in our 12 o'clock service this past Sunday. Uh, and it was so funny. He brought it up because it's something I've been in the practice of the past three years. Uh, he brought up, yeah, when he wakes up in the morning, he just says, good morning, God. And he brought up a book by Benny Hinn called Good Morning, Holy Spirit. Uh, Church, can I tell you, uh, I read that book and it kind of changed some of my perspective of, no, every day when I wake up, I want to say good morning, Holy Spirit. Good morning, God. How are you? Like, (laughs) thank you for life. You know, so when I open my eyes, the first thing that comes out of my mouth very quietly, because my wife is sleeping and uh, I will pray for you if you wake her up. Um, and pray for me because if I accidentally wake her up, you may not see me. <laughs> um, but right is, you know, just good morning, God. Good morning, Holy Spirit. Lord, I give you my first. I give you my best. Lord, I'm here for you. You know, you are my all in all. There's nothing else I could want but you and you alone. Right. You get my first, God. Uh, and then another way of putting God first is in our finances, in our money. Whoo. That's that's always the the hard part of putting God first in the finances. Uh, but that looks like the tithe, the first 10% of what we make. You know, I'm a firm, 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 strong believer in the tithe. I believe the scriptures scream the necessity of the tithe and what it reveals about our heart posture more than anything. Uh, you know, if we truly believe that God owns 100% of everything, like this Bible here is not my Bible. It's his Bible, right? Uh, my car does not belong to me. It belongs to him. You know, when I, uh, I, you, some of you know, I drive a truck. I chose to buy that truck because I wanted to bless his church because the Lord knows every church needs a truck. <laughs> so, right. So everything is to put God first. Uh, but even inside of what we own, right? So 100% belongs to him. Our finances, 100% of it belongs to him. What he says is, hey, in that 100% of mine, I would like you to take 90 of it, and I'm going to keep 10% of what's already mine, right? And I just want to kind of confront some of us today because, or maybe just challenge you a little bit. If you don't believe that possibly you can uh, live out the principle of giving God your first in your finances, the tithe, uh, I want to challenge you, do it anyway. Do it anyway and watch God show up. Because so many times out of fear, we we allow fear to kind of like hold us back from living in God's best in our finances and living blessed in our finances because we believe I don't have enough money to blank, right? I Like I, I can't afford to tithe, like hear me. Uh, and I love the comment I just saw, right? I can't afford not to tithe. <laughs> That's so true. Like, I can't afford not to. Um, uh, I remember my first time tithing. Uh, it terrified me. Because, you know, it, my pastor came and told me, I was like, I, I don't know if I agree with you. You know, we're so like, you know, strapped for money to give 10% would really put me in a bad spot. And he was like, yeah, give God the 10%, watch him show up and so much more. And um, uh, I gave the 10% and I sat around and said, Lord, I am, while well, I was at work, I said, Lord, I am far behind on rent now because I gave the 10%. That was like the one that put me up to the bar. Uh, now what? And someone supernaturally walked into my work and gave me a check, which bridged the gap from where I was to the rent that I needed to pay. Why? Because God was put first. And when he, when he gets put first, he gives us his best. Can I get an amen from somebody? Okay. Now that was verse one. Let's go to the rest of the verses. Y'all come on. You're, you're holding me up in verse one here. 
<laughs> verses two through seven. <laughs> um, two through seven. Uh, I'm not going to read them uh, all the way, like, you know, go deep into it, uh, but I do want to brush over and touch it. So this is where the Lord is confronting people saying, hey, uh, if you hear when people are putting other things, God's worship in uh, places it doesn't belong, we really have to deal with that evil amongst us. You know, and so many times I kind of talk to people and they have a hard time with this side of the Bible. And that might be you this morning. This might be you today listening to this podcast. Uh, hey, I don't understand why God is saying stone people. <laughs> I don't understand why God is saying put them to death. Like, how do I wrap my head around that? How do I deal with that? Uh, hear me. Uh, God is good. But what God wants to deal with is the evil inside of our hearts. And he doesn't want us to live strapped up and wrapped up inside of the evil that's in there. He wants to purge evil from us, right? So right here, if there's any way to process it, is look how seriously God takes commitment and worship to him, right? He wants us to be fully devoted and sold out to him. So uh, verse six has something powerful inside of it. And we'll go a little bit deeper into this one right now. But never put a person to death on the testimony of only one witness, there must always be two or three witnesses. So I just want to kind of talk to you all about the power of unity for a moment. So I'm a firm believer that God still speaks today. I love the fact that God speaks. I love that he wants to speak to us about personal things. I love that uh, he is so, uh, uh, introspective that you can go deep down into the nitty gritty of our heart, see all the intertwined things and speak directly to those things. Um, however, when God does speak and he's telling us something that might be a big faith jump, might be something that is calling us to a new place, uh, you know, fill in the blank, right? We want to have two or three witnesses come alongside of uh, alongside of us and bring agreement to what's happening. And I'm saying that because uh, we don't want to be lone rangers in life or lone rangers in the faith where we say, yeah, you know, the, I, I follow Jesus, but he's calling me to do some crazy faith things, uh, but I'm not going to submit it to anyone, right? Living a submitted life is such a safe life, right? If there's anything to write down a submitted life is a safe life. And what I mean by submitted life is I am choosing to submit myself, my decisions to other Christ followers who are in the faith. So uh, to kind of bring you into like a process. So whenever I make a large decision or my wife and I make a large decision, uh, I at one point had a circle of five elders or pastors that would speak into the decision and share what it is they feel as though the Lord is saying what they believe the scripture has to say about it. And is this a good decision for my life or not? And the people around me, obviously my family and everyone. Um, it's kind of whittled down as time has gone on. I now have three elders in my life that really just speak into all these things. Um, but uh, I don't do anything if I don't have agreement from the elders, from, from the people in my life. You know, these are pastors that have been running the race for years and uh, I kind of share with each of you, you know, when I made the jump to come on board to everything that God is doing here at Fusion Church, uh, I had elders in my life, pastors, that I said, hey, I believe God is calling me to something, uh, but I need agreement from you guys. You know, I believe I heard the Lord. I This is what I believe God has said. My wife feels the same now, because first I get agreement from my wife 
if we're both on the same page, then I bring it to these elders and say, hey, guys, this is what I got. Like, I need some input. I need your prayer. Uh, I need honest, honest, honest opinions. Like, I don't need like, a, hey, what do you think I like? <laughs> you know, I don't need a, hey, what, you know, uh, uh, I want to appease your feelings. No, this is the moment to say this is a horrible decision, <laughs> you know? So uh, I brought it to these uh, three elders and they just prayed with me and they all came back to me and said, I really believe that this is from God, you know, and, and just separately, you know, we believe that this is the decision. This is the way to go. Uh, you know, the open door was directly from heaven. And I said, wow, okay, I'm, I'm good to step into it. But there's power in agreement. Because uh, if you just decide to make the decisions by yourself, you don't maybe include a pastor, like connect group leader, you know, a few faithful, trusted people that have been running the race of faith for a while to speak into it, to pray into it. Um, it hear me, we could end up hurting people or hurting ourselves. And I don't know about you, but I just don't want to live a day outside of God's best for my life. And there is just safety in submission. Uh, I'll share a quick story with you before we move on from this point. Uh, there's a, a pastor out there and, you know, as his church had grown, as God had blessed it, uh, he had a dream car that he had always wanted him, right? There's nothing wrong with just having like that dream car, you know, whatever that is. And, uh, he wanted to get his dream car and it was within reason. And for the first time ever, he had the money to get it. And he was like, I really want to get my dream car. Well, he brought it to, uh, let's say a pastor that just speaks into his life. And this pastor said, yeah, really don't think it's a good idea for you to get that dream car. <laughs> and he's like, what do you mean not a good idea? He said, yeah. Well, last time I came to your church, there was uh, someone on your staff driving like a 94 Honda Civic. <laughs> like He was like, I just don't think it's wise because I think you're going to turn something up inside of the people around you. He's like, you know, if you roll in with this really nice brand new car, how about this? How about you take it down a couple notches? You can still get a new car, but get this one instead. And uh, this pastor, I love, I was listening to their podcast. This pastor was like, what? I already said it as my phone background. I'm, <laughs> I am set on getting this car. You know what I mean? Like I already test drove it and everything. I was calling you <laughs> for you to tell me congratulations. You know, like this is a great idea. I was looking for you to rub my feelings, right? I was looking, I was looking for you to appease me. And uh, no, the elder that he submitted it to, said, this isn't a good idea, man. Like if you want the trust, love and support of your staff, of the people around you, for them to look to you, uh, I really think that you should take a step back, you know, and I'm not saying a no forever, but just like a not yet, you know, just consider like what you're going to do to people. And he decided to go ahead and get a different car. And he, to this day, this was probably, you know, five years ago, to this day, says it was one of the best decisions that he ever made. Uh, because he brought it to, he brought the decision he made and what his uh, oversight, his elder and pastor had told him to this staff at a staff meeting. And uh, don't you know, a few of them brought up their financial struggles in that meeting that they were going through. And then the church was able to bless them because of it, right? Submission will open doors when you put God first. And I know submit isn't a fun word in our culture, but hear me, there's safety in submission, the power of two or three witnesses. So I want to challenge you whether you're listening to this right now or listening to this podcast later on, I want to challenge you. Who are your two or three witnesses in your life that you bring stuff to before you make major decisions? Hey, uh, you know, I kind of want to buy a house. 
you know, uh, could you pray with me about this? If, you know, the Lord has a desire for me to make this big change. Hey, this job opportunity just came up. Hey, should I be looking to jump into this job opportunity? Or, hey, uh, I just met a boy. I just met a girl. You know, should I be like looking to step into this relationship, you know, and have those people speak into your lives, your life and submit it? You know, submission doesn't feel good. It hurts. <laughs> like I, he wanted the car. No, I want the relationship. What do you mean I have to submit? Right. Uh, but hear me. There's safety, 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 safety in submission. The power of two or three witnesses. So it goes on. Uh, I'm going to jump forward just a little bit. So let's hit verse verses 14 through 20. So these are the guidelines for a king. Um, I'm going to read verse 14 really quick. It says, you are to enter the land the Lord your God is giving you. When you take it over and settle there, you may think we should select a king to rule over us like the other nations around us. Um, I want to kind of unpack this verse really quick. So <laughs> sometimes uh, when we read the Bible, we think when God is communicating something, we see a verse like that and say, oh, God's telling them they're going to get a king. Well, yes. But it was not his intention for them to have a king. Read what it says. You may think we should select a king. He didn't say, hey, my best for you is to get a king. <laughs> right? Sometimes we drum up ideas that aren't always God's best for us. Right? And we're just like these Israelites right here. And I think that's why God loves us so much <laughs> in all of our imperfections. Right? So uh, right here, God had foresight. He was not encouraging them to appoint a king. Uh, he knew that they were going to ask for one. So when Israel got into the promised land, they would look around them. They would see that all these nations, these people groups had a king ruling and governing over them. And rather than living in God's system that he was designing, which would, was the judges, right? After we come out of Joshua, we go into judges. That was like God's design. Uh, rather than living in that design, uh, they wanted a king. And inside of the Bible, they petitioned <laughs> and said, Lord, give us a king. And God said, no. No. <laughs> God, give us a king. No. <laughs> and if I was like, no, Lord, please, a king. And then he said, okay, I'm going to appoint Saul, King Saul over you. And uh, the whole idea was, you want to know what? Fine. I'll give you what you want. <laughs> Here's the king. And they gave, uh, God gave Israel a king. And from that point forward, they were living under the king's rule. Now, after clamoring for a king, I think it's very interesting how the whole king thing would work out for them, right? Because the very next parameters that God gave for the king, uh, not one king followed. <laughs> like, like not one. Like we love the king. We love we love King David. But listen, David was a wicked, wicked man at times. Like wicked. We would never look to David and say, "Oh, this is our perfect king." Like David killed his best friend to steal his wife. You know, what I mean, like just to kind of lay out David in a nutshell. But however, David knew how to repent and David had a heart after God. So God looked at him every time and said that like his forgiveness and his mercy was open to him. Uh, but think about so King Saul, King David and King Solomon. Uh, these were three kings that we can just look to in this moment and see the commands that God gave them. Right. The king must not build up large stables of horses for himself or send people to Egypt to buy horses. Right. In verse 16, because they're not meant to return to Egypt. What God is saying here is don't look back. Don't look to the prior things. Don't look to where I took you from, right? How often do we uh, start returning to old mindsets or like we're like a dog returning to its vomit and going back to the things that made us comfortable at one time, right? 
So uh, a king must not take many wives because they will turn his heart away from the Lord. He must not accumulate large amounts of wealth in silver and gold for himself. Why? Because God is communicating again. I don't, I want your heart pure before me as the king, the ruler over my people. You know, the Lord lays these things out. And yet we can look at someone like King Solomon who looked at this and basically went the opposite direction. You know, King Solomon inside of the Bible is one who uh, is known as one of the wisest men who walked the earth. And yet in all the wisdom he had, he didn't have enough wisdom to follow what the word of God told him, right? He had all the wisdom in the world. He was able to create wealth from his wisdom. He was able to build the temple from his wisdom, right? However, even inside of all of that, yet he didn't have enough wisdom to follow the word of God. Where it says, what is this? Hey, don't take many wives. Uh, Solomon had wives, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> and wives he had. It was like, I, to this day, I don't understand, you know, because listen, I am, I, I am very happy. I have Shannon, my beautiful wife, and I have my one wife. Um, even the thought of Solomon's life and what he was doing with that many women inside of his house. God bless you, Solomon. Uh, it's not for me. <laughs> God bless you. There's a reason why, because what is it, right? It'll turn your heart away from the Lord because you have idolatry in your life, right? It goes on wealth in silver and gold will turn your heart away from him. This, this is crazy, right? But But God gives a remedy on how to deal with the idolatry of the heart. Verse 18. When he sits on the throne as king, he must number one to make a copy for himself, the body, uh, this body of instructions on a scroll and the presence of the Levitical priest, right? Keep a copy of the law close to you, write it down. Number two, he must always keep that copy with him and read it daily, right? Or excuse me, keep that copy with him. So number two, he keeps the word of God with him at all times, right? Three, read it daily, get into the word of God every day. And then number four, right, that way he will learn to fear the Lord, his God, by obeying obedience, following what the word of God says, right? So all four of these, right, write a copy of the law, keep it on yourself, read it daily and obey. So come on, what what's God telling him to do? Soap, <laughs> right? Get in the word, right? Take this Bible, let it go deep down inside of you. As Proverbs 3 says, write it on the tablet of your heart. You know, let this thing go deep. Let the Bible change you. Treat it as a mirror that every day when you look at it, it changes the appearance of your heart, right? So let this thing change you as you go into it. Write a copy of it, right? Do some scripture memorization if you have to. Keep it on you, right? The Bible app is what is free and incredible. Read it every single day. Don't just own it. Don't just get the nicest looking one and let it collect dust on the shelf. Like let it get nitty gritty, underline it, write your notes, let the pages get torn and crinkled, right? Read it every day. And then most importantly, obey it. <laughs> Come on, dog. I love to see it. Obey what it is that you read because God wants to see his best inside of our lives and his best comes from obedience. Can I get an amen, somebody? So all of us to say, put God first get our two or three witnesses inside of our lives and then get the word of God dead center in our lives. So come on, let's pray. I want to believe for an amazing, amazing day for each and every one of you. So God, uh, I'm so grateful for each person that is here that is pressing into your word, that is pressing into everything that you have for them. 
And Holy Spirit, I just pray that uh, you would give us the boldness, courage, and strength to put you first, to walk in the first things that you've given us. And Lord, I just pray that if we don't have a circle of accountability around us yet, that you would get a circle of accountability, that there'll be people around us that love us enough to tell us whether we're making a bad decision or a good decision, whether something is wise or unwise. And uh, God, just as these kings were commanded to do, we want to uh, keep the copy of your word on us, keep it on our persons, keep it on our heart, keep it on our mind. And God, to dwell on it and not only dwell, but obey the very words that you've given us. So, Lord, thank you for giving us your best when we put you first. And we ask and pray this in your son Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen. Come on. God bless you all. Have a great, great day.